All right, guys. Good morning. Good morning, Legacy City Church. We've expanded. We've doubled in a day again. Oh, unfortunately, a lot of you are just visiting from out of town. But hey, we welcome you. Welcome Heather and kids. You guys are awesome. This is a, just a good-looking group this morning. We are so stoked. So we have the privilege of having people that we've, we've connected with over the last few years now that have become just uh, people that, are, that takes a sweet spot in our hearts. Um, that have been able to come up. Obviously, you guys know, you know a lot of those folks from Oregon that have been up. And today we get Charlie and Lori Gosler. And I know, yeah. I know this isn't the introdu- introduction time yet because we're going to worship. But I just have to, I'm just going to give you guys a quick testimony. When Tammy and I first went to McMinnville, Oregon, Uh, five years ago for the Global Legacy Conference, and no one knew us there. That is where we had a prophetic word spoken to us that we were to plant that church. You know, this, the, what God was saying to this prophetic young lady was, I hear God say, you're here for clarity, direction, and you were to go plant that church. It couldn't have been any more clear because that is exactly why we were there. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, uh, Crystal Gowan, who, who gave us that gave us that prophetic word, she took a bold step because if you're familiar with the prophetic, you know, it's important not to give directives unless you really, really know it's, it's what God is saying. And she took a step, man. She was, yeah, she was right on target. And then Charlie and, and Lori uh, were introduced as some of the speakers. And Charlie carries this message that I'm just, to put it simply, it rattled me on the inside. It spoke to the baby Scott Alcorn. I was just telling Justin about this a minute ago. It, it, something that the Holy Spirit was doing on his message caused the, the little childhood memory that I had, and even back to infancy, to be shaken. It was the first time I had ever had this revelation. I actually had a, a momentary vision, and I'm not like a visionary, but as he was preaching, I had this, this flash of the, the operating room where my mom was giving birth to me. And I knew it was me. It was just so fast, but I knew it was me. And I saw my, my C-section head being brought out. And I saw gloves. And I knew the Father was there. I knew the Father of creation. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father. His hands were there. And I knew at that moment that he was there for me at my birth and that he was delighting over me. It, it was such a fast, intense picture. I about lost it on the front row where Tammy and I were sitting. And it was a quiet room. Everyone was just listening, taking notes. I held it back until the prayer line. As I watched people drop and drop and drop, thinking this is my moment, I'm going to get slain, which I've still never been knocked to the floor. People tried to push me, but, you know, I, I, we're not into that, are we? We don't like that pushing stuff. If it ain't God, don't do it. And when it was my turn, the child was rebirthed. <laughs> it's the best way I can explain it. There was just a deep healing work that God was doing. So anyway, 
these guys are long overdue to be with us, and it just seemed like the, the season and the time was right to invite them up, and, and they're so gracious to come up here and, and bless our church today. But before we get to hear and, and receive the good stuff that these guys carry, because they carry some treasure, just like all of you, all y'all, they carry the treasure of heaven, so do you guys, but, but we've, most of us in this room have never been exposed to what they carry. And before we get to that, we're going to go to the one who is the giver of life, the, the treasure releaser of all things, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're going to give him glory. We're going to do what we've been called to do as believers, as priests and kings, a royal priesthood. We are going to minister unto the Lord. That is our, our number one goal and desire when we come together as a church. It's just to minister unto him. He's worthy. He is so good. And if you're not convinced of his goodness, I believe that by the end of this day, you are going to taste and see that the Lord is good. So why don't you guys stand? We're going to start this out with making a declaration. We're going to read some declarations. And before we do that, I'm going to make mention... It's Communion Sunday. There's a little communion table over here in the corner. If you haven't been here before, what we do is in the middle of our worship time, I'll sneak up here. I will quickly say, go ahead and take your, grab your communion elements. And then you'll take them back with you to your seat and we'll continue to worship. And what I would like us to do this morning is just hold on to the cup and the bread. Just hold on to it. Meditate on it. Think upon it. Dwell for just a minute on what Jesus did on the cross for us. And, and in that place of, of pondering the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, as you hold those, continue to worship and lift up before him what he paid for. If you need freedom today, if you need shame broken off, if you need new life to come into you, if you need hope or joy, whatever you need that you know the Bible tells us that God is, if you just need to recommit yourself to him today, hold those things before him, before you and before God. And in that place of worship, let's just take time today and worship him and recognize what he paid for because his gift to you and me on the cross is a free gift and he paid for something to be released to us. When we make this declaration, we're going to begin now to make a declaration of what Jesus opened up for us on the cross. Are you guys ready? You ready to worship this morning? All right, re re let's read this together. Father God, as Legacy City Church and sons and daughters of God, we are believing you for heaven opened, earth invaded, storehouses unlocked, miracles created, dreams and visions, angelic visitations, declarations, impartations, and divine manifestations, anointings, giftings, and calls, positions and promotions, provisions and resources to go to the nations, souls and more souls from every generation, saved and set free, carrying kingdom revelation. Thank you, Father, as we join our value system to yours, you will shower favor, blessing, and increase upon us so we have more than enough to co-labor with heaven and see Jesus get his full reward. Hallelujah. Jesus, we worship you.
Good morning, Legacy City family, church family. Lord, you are the very breath that we breathe. Lord, you're with us before we even take our first breath. And you're there before we take our last and we close our eyes. You are the life giver. You are the comfort bringer. You're the peace giver, the negotiator. Lord, you're the boat in the midst of the storm. You are the lion and the lamb. You're the liberator, the chain breaker. Lord, we just celebrate your life today, Lord. Thank you for being our savior. We give our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Does anyone from the team have a word? Should come forward. Sharon. Hey. So, um, just for what the Lord is doing in me and uh, what um, I'm seeing more clearly is that um, we are already perfect in his sight. We're already, he, he can't add anything more to us because we are already who he wants us to be. And what is happening is as our minds are renewed, then that junk, the garbage, the lies, the shame, the defeat is breaking off. And, it's, and as that breaks off, it just brings uh, light to who the Lord uh, has really created us to be. And um, just for myself to say that um, David and I, we met... 40-something years ago, and we were just a couple of dumb little lambs, and <laughs> we thought we were so mature. I think I was all of 13, he was 17, and because of a heavy dose of continual grace, continual grace, uh, we, have, we were blessed with our beautiful daughter and our son, who's with his family right now and our grandchildren, and just, I just, in our family being, uh, growing up like they are, I just see that God is good, God is gracious, and yeah, he's faithful. Anyone else? Any testimonies? Here comes Marilyn. Was it the testimony that did it? <laughs> no, it was the holy nudge. Okay. <laughs> Obedience. Um, just, just a little bit of explanation, and then you can delve into it a little more. Last night when we met, I, I had a, a vision, and I saw a church this morning, and I saw big angels in the north, south, east, and west, preparing an atmosphere for today. And... Um, and when I was back there flagging, and, and I love the flags that were made for me are Aurora Borealis's because I love the heavenlies and I, I love to just see stars. And all of a sudden, I, I just saw an open portal over here. And that's where it's like the, it's, it, heaven opens up and its glory just comes down like a big spotlight. And I tried to resist it because you look a little different being over there talking to a wall in the natural realm, you know. And then I just thought, no, love y'all, but ciao. And got over there, and I just had just the best time. And I just want everybody to know that it, 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 he's real, 
His ways are real. And it doesn't matter about the others. It matters about your obedience. And, and before I knew it, I didn't even realize you guys were here or I was here. Does that make sense? And, until the music jumped into Raise a Hallelujah. <laughs> so um, just wanted to share that and just say thank you, Lord, for your presence today. I'm Samantha Schwartz, and I'm Sharon's granddaughter. And for the first time here, it's been a really magical experience. And I feel closer to God already. Well, we'd like to welcome these two wonderful people here today. We are so happy and so blessed to have you here. Thank you so much. We're going to get out of your way in just a second. Or do you need more time to sit? <laughs> oh, man. Just before we get started, I had something for Heather. <laughs> Heather, I really feel like God is going to take you into a new season. A season of wonder and a season of just playing with him. And, yeah, that's good. A season of playing with him and a season of exploring with him. And he says, it's okay. It's okay to be outside the box and to think outside the box. And just to let all the, the religious stuff that might try and come on you, just to let it go and just have fun with him. This is a new season for you and your family. You're just going to have fun. Fun. And, and Samantha... That is awesome. I feel like God is giving you courage, and he's giving you a creativity. And he says, run as fast as you can. Just go for it. He's, he's behind you 100%, and he loves who you are. So, well, so I'm going to tag on for Heather, too. So I know your, your name represents the plant that we're all familiar with, the purple and the white and the little flowers. And they don't really have fragrance to them. And then I felt like, you know, I was reminded of that story in the Bible where Jesus rose from the dead and they came to the tomb and I think it was Mary who was like, she thought it was the gardener. And she said, where have you put him? Just tell me. And he said, Mary. And I just feel like Jesus, the gardener, is saying, Heather, you're not just a, you're not just a ground cover. You're not just a border plant. You're like an orchid to him. And I feel like he just wants you to know he has been protecting and surrounding you like a, like a gardener over his prized possession, that you have a fragrance that he has put inside of you that comes out. It's, it's your love and, and your value for him in your life. And the fragrance of Jesus is in you. And I just, what Tammy said, I just see that too, that wherever he takes you, into the world, into your sphere, you spread that fragrance of Jesus everywhere you go. So we just want to bless you and your little tribe today. In Jesus' name, yeah, awesome. So I'm not going to hold you guys back because we want to get the goods. And there's no time restraints. By the way, if, if you're here today and you feel like you, know, you got to go and things are still going, 
just be blessed and, and don't feel like you have to stay unless you're wrestling with the enemy or something and you know, we just kick him out of here now. So here you go. Charlie and Lori. I kind of introduced you already. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Oh. Did you I, I, don't, I don't have anything right now, so I okay. may raise my hand and let you know. All right. Oh, well... Good morning, beloved sons and daughters of God, in whom your father is already pleased. You don't have to perform to earn it. You're already his delight. You're already his joy. Is that right? And you know, I am stunned. I'm amazed. We have an extravagant, unexpected heavenly father. You know, he's not what the advertising says. He's kind He's for you, more than you're for yourself. His plan and purpose for your life is so much better than anything you could come up with. Amen? In fact, I, I love the, the phrase Bill Johnson uses. He says, if you knew who you were created to be in Jesus, you would never want to be anyone else. There's no jealousy. There's no comparison. When others get their breakthrough, you can rejoice and never compare because you're so secure in knowing how uniquely and perfectly you're designed, how much he wants to express himself to the world through you, that every day is a celebration. You deserve to believe you are God's favorite son and daughter. And only a God like ours can have seven billion favorites walking there. Can you imagine the wallet he's got? Look, I've got a picture of him. He loves to brag about us. Ho, ho, you know, one thing, I, I, I love the presence of God more than anything else. I just want him. I want to encounter him. And he wants us to become an encounter so that others can have an encounter with him. And so I don't just want to talk about the kingdom of God. I don't want to explain the kingdom of God. I don't even want to define the kingdom of God. I want to become, in my life, a demonstration of the kingdom of God, the presence of God, the power of God. Amen? And it comes for those who actually know they're already loved. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. But I say that because... For years, I've learned to talk about things, and I've studied the Word, and I love good definitions. And I, I know I'm not going to go off on a tangent, but I love theology. Pray for my wife, because I love to talk with her about it, and I can see her eyes glaze over. But, but for me, the understanding of who God is and how it applies to our daily lives and how it manifests in our actions is just a tremendous journey. It's an exciting adventure to, to probe all of that. And so I love to see his kingdom demonstrated, and uh, I want to have people encounter him. Um, I remember years ago standing before our old senior pastor, and I'm, I'm not going to get too far off track. I, I've been in the ministry about 35 years, and so, man, my life is filled with stories, with illustrations and examples of God's goodness. And so I have to learn to like, whoop, focus. And so don't be concerned if I take a rabbit trail. I'm going to come back. I promise. Uh, but even before any of that, I wanted to uh, also step out a little bit prophetically because I looked back and um, we're going to have a ministry time. Everybody, if you want to, uh, I'm going to give you a prophetic act at the end of this. If you want to activate something in your life, you'll have an opportunity. Um, but I looked back and I saw Emily and I saw her face and I just saw an intriguing quality that I so admire in the kingdom of humble confidence. I saw this calm and this stillness in her. 
And then, the, I, it, at first I rejected it because I oh, that's just human wisdom. But no, it, it was really true. I saw, that, that I heard that phrase, still waters run deep. And then I saw, I thought of the 23rd Psalm, and the part that was highlighted to me is he makes me lie down in um, green pastures, but he leads me beside still waters. And I saw her by the still waters in this beautiful meadow, and Emily... Uh, no one was holding you back. You saw the river of God. And it was the river of God from his presence. And even with that humble confidence, that calm stillness, you, wahoo, went jumping off of the bank full speed into the river of God. It wasn't, you know, ankle deep or knee deep. You were caught up in the stream and you were caught up in the current of the Holy Spirit. And then I even saw you spinning like in an eddy almost and your hands were raised, and you were cheering. And it was like, she is just rowdy. You are an indigenous species of the presence of God, and the river of God flows through your life, and the very calmness that you carry releases the glory of God and the power of God into other people's lives. Can we get an amen for that? And it's only going to increase over time. So, ho, oh, you, you get to pray for me after the service, you know. Ho. Oh. I love the name of your church. And so when I heard that, um, I decided to share something that I, I don't often share, actually. Um, but uh, Lori and I are from Portland, Oregon, and uh, we've been married 33 years as of um, the 19th of July. I got it. Whew. Okay. And uh, it's been an amazing and incredible uh, journey for us. And we planted Abiding Place about 10 years ago. Uh, but before that, we pastored at an inner city church. We were associate pastors at a church of about 1,200. It was a multicultural, multi-ethnic church. And we did life with people that were homeschooling and just did our lives together. 25 years is a lot of relationship. And, uh, and then because of the Great Recession, um, our budget was off like so many other churches. And somebody needed to get laid off. But I want to let you know, I was the counselor. I was the administrator. I had been there all those years. I married and buried people. You guys know I'm more of a pastor shepherd than anything. I love people. I genuinely do. And uh, there's an old phrase that pastors hatch, match, and dispatch. So you're there for the births. You're there for the weddings. And you're there for the funerals. And I did that for 25 years with people. And there's a bond that forms. But because Lori and I just fell so radically in love with the Lord again in a later season of our life, touched by the Toronto blessing, come on, Bill Johnson, he is my hero and a spiritual father. Oh, when he preaches, my heart burns. And I have to stop the tape. It's like, okay, let me write that one down. I've got to make that one mine and that one mine, right? And so I, I love that. And we were all the way in. And we had a wonderful senior pastor, but he was not in the same stream. And so over time, you get two senior leaders growing, and even though we did everything in the open. So long story short, we wound up getting laid off. And uh, it was, Lori was carrying the grief of so many years of walking with other families and the loss of community. And, um, and then, I, and I, what's that? We couldn't stay there either. It just would have been too awkward. I got to carry the euphoria because I knew God had something special for me. But I'm also a pastor shepherd. So I absolutely refused to get jumped out of that church. Sometimes churches operate like a gang. You, you have to do. You join, 
and you've got a, you know, a spouse and certain things. And then if you decide to leave, it's taken personally like, oh, well, that church wasn't good enough. Now this other church is better. And then people start trashing you, you know. And so I, I'm serious. It just sad. It shouldn't be that way, of course. But I didn't want that. So I went and I visited the church and I said hi to everybody and I kept a good relationship. We've had our senior pastor preach at our church. And so we have a good relationship. But a couple years after um, we had left the church and I'd gone several times, I went with my daughter Alyssa and we got out of the parking lot and as we stepped out of the car, people in the parking lot, Pastor Charlie! And it became this little reunion. Oh, hi, love, love, love. And then the prayer room was letting out the pre-service prayer. Those were my homies. You know, Lori and I helped really build that prayer room. And so another love fest. And then we get outside the front of the building, and there's another love fest. Then I walk in the lobby of the church, and there's our old senior pastor, Pastor Richard. He's about 6'6 and 350 pounds. You don't have to see a chiropractor after this guy hugs you, you know? And so he saw me, walked over, gave me this big hug, and then round two pulled me in for a second big hug. It's like, wow, what is going on? And I'm not exaggerating. Then somebody saw Richard hugging me, and from across the lobby of this church, I heard this, ah, it's Pastor Charlie. And they came running, and then other people started to make a beeline, and I got overwhelmed. It's like, this is weird. This is not the first time. I didn't come back from war. And so I go into the back of the church, same thing. Finally, I go, let's, let's, let's go sit down in our normal chairs here. And I saw three or four people making a beeline to where we were across the sanctuary. And then I thought, Lord, I don't understand. I've been back to this church several times. What's happening? And he said, I am showing you your legacy. And I thought, my legacy? Lord, what's my legacy? And he said, you've left a legacy of love. And I thought, I'm okay with that. Lord, for the rest of my life, if people see my love, my adoration for you, and out of the overflow of my love for you, I genuinely can do things that are for the best interest, the welfare of others. And they know they felt loved without any agenda, without any you know, reason other than just the goodness of God. And that you don't have to promote, you don't have to maintain. In fact, the love that you give to others that's an overflow of the love God has poured into your life, it increases over time. It's the eternal gift that you give that lasts. And it flows out of your connection alone with your Father that was made possible by Jesus. And so Legacy Church, you have a legacy to leave in this community. And it's a legacy of love that's going to long outlive you. But the way you have that influence is by letting God love you first, because you can only give the thing that you've received. Oh, and so it's a journey for all of us to come, become true sons and daughters. And um, I don't want to get lost in notes. What, what is on my heart, I think, is just too important. And so uh, I just want to express my, my journey, my gratefulness to God, some of the crazy encounters that I've had over the years, just for the sake of encouraging you as well. But even before we do that, who Scott was mentioning how we met. Uh, they were there the year that, one of the years that we spoke at Global Legacy, and they just asked me to share my testimony. It was, a, how do you become family in the church? 
How do you become family with your heavenly father? How do you become family with your brothers and sisters? So I just shared my testimony, and uh, I remember you know, praying for him, actually. He was, isn't it funny how he stands out? I love people whose hearts burn for Jesus. You know, there's a light that you can see on them. And, and by the way, their faith begins to pull the very best out of us. When, when other people are ready to receive, like I can even see on all of you, you, you don't know what the Lord has lined up for you today. But I guarantee you, many of you are never going to be the same again. Because a revelation of who you're called to be, who you're created to be, who Jesus died for you to be in him, he is jealous. He wants his kids back. And he doesn't want temporary custody. He wants full custody of our hearts and not a visitation. He wants to become a habitation. He's, his heart is for people who have a heart for him. And I so see that on this couple. They amaze me. One time in prayer, Jesus told me, I walk in the flames of hearts that burn for me. I thought, wow, God, let me burn. Let me just continue to stir up that thankfulness, that gratitude, that, that adoration, God, that I have for you. Let me be contagious. Let others hunger to know you and to be loved by you the way they see me loving you and being loved by you. That's really what sons and daughters are, and it really is your destiny. So I met them there. God did a crazy work, but that was very unusual. At the end, it was, I'm going to share the outline kind of of what that message was in general, but I've got some new stuff too. But at the end, I asked Galen, um, can I give an altar call and just offer to pray for anybody who wants... And I've gone to these things, I think, 30 years. I've never seen this before. And you guys were there. So if I'm exaggerating, you correct me right in front of everybody. Because I'm secure. It's okay. Uh, the entire conference, Paul Man Warring, all the speakers, everybody came forward to receive prayer, to have that encounter with God, to have that revelation of being true sons and daughters. They had to cancel the afternoon session. It lasted for two hours. There were people getting healed and filled and releasing grief. And, and, and then, I, I don't know why, but I love spiritual displacement. When God heals your heart, when he takes away grief that you've carried for a number of years, it doesn't remain empty. He loves to fill it with joy. So, man, tears so often just shift right to laughter. Am I, am I exaggerating? It was, it was like the chaos of heaven. And in the next week, I had 12 people, some of them random, go, you're supposed to write a book. And I actually said to some of my friends, well, uh, I, I don't want to write a book, and you're my friend, and you need to be quiet. <laughs> but after 12 times, it's like, okay, now it's going to be disobedience if I don't do it. And my focus was wrong. It should have been on the impact. And by the way, your life has impact. Your life is supposed to have influence. You are a gospel that God is writing through the uniqueness of your giftings, your experience. He wants to reveal his goodness to you and through you so that others know it's there for them as well. And so, you know, if I had focused on that and then the impact of what the book was supposed to be about, it would have been a whole different process, but there was a, I, I procrastinated. Now I'm good. And so um, I do have a copy of the book. It's called Reconciled, An Orphan's Journey. And uh, once the book finally came out, I realized, and I'm not selling books. It's about the testimony and how it affects people, the healing that it can bring, the healing God brought into my life. And so after finally the book release and a few book signings, reviews started to come in, and people were like, I couldn't finish the first chapter. 
the Holy Spirit filled my room and I started to sob and you can't read when you're crying. It's like, good. So I'd like to give one away. Um, if you are, want later, Scott's going to have some copies available, so talk to him. If you do want one today, I'm happy if we have time. I'm happy to sign it for you. And, uh, you know, and that's the end of this crass commercial message. But the one I want to give away, I want to find out who's been saved six months or less. Do we have anybody here who's been saved with, within the last six months? Nine months? Anyone been saved less than a year? Children included. You guys are all saved. Why am I here? <laughs> oh, oh no, no, not you. Okay, sphincter boy over there. Heal him in Jesus' name. All right. No more balloons for you, man. Got just Holy Spirit healing. Ho oh, for you. All right. <laughs> I'm not going to repeat it because... It has a connotation most people don't want to know. There are other round muscles that you have in your body. And so anyway, I'm in the deep end of the pool. Okay. <laughs> We're good, right? I love you, man. Ho! Okay. Somebody, anyone who's been saved less than two years? Who's the youngest person? Come on, somebody step out. Someone's been saved here less than five. I think there's the people who are almost five years old. So... I, 10? What, do you have a totally mature church? We, well, we'll have to go a different way. What? Five? Get up here. Or come, come grab it. All right. The reason I wanted to give it away to the youngest person is because we all need that revelation. And the sooner we find out that we are love sons and daughters and we become reconciled to God, the better our lives are going to be. And by the way, this message is not for adults. This message is for kids as well. Because you can get radically saved at three years old, and you never have to walk away. And there's no junior Holy Spirit. And there's no limit on the gift of prophecy. I mean, a church is vibrant and alive, and often children can lead the way. And it's all about their relationship with God too. So I, I'm only going to read one verse that's going to frame this whole message. And if you're wondering, well, why is he telling that story? This is about, for me, what God is doing on the earth and that we are all a part of this. And it's uh, 2 Corinthians 5.18, and it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was, listen, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Our entire walk, the mission that we're on here on earth, is for people to realize there is a father who radically knows them and loves them more than anybody they can ever possibly meet. And by the way, you don't hear this on the news, but God is reconciling the world, not just individuals, back to himself. So did you know, with all the bad news out there, that right now there's less poverty in the world than there's ever been in the history of the world? There's longer lifespans throughout the world, longer than any other time in the history. There's prosperity going through the world at a rate that's never been seen before, even in former 
poor countries. The world in many ways is continuing to move forward in medical advancements and with a reduction of human suffering. And did you know that there are more sons and daughters of God on the face of the earth today than at any other point in history? The sanctifying presence, the kingdom of God coming on earth through you and me improves not only our lives, but the lives of all of those around us. Can I get an amen? So you are part of a mission on earth that is in the heart of God that is more radical than you can possibly imagine. The Lord said something to me that obliterated me two weeks ago, and I wasn't planning on sharing it, but I'm going to anyway, so there you go. Some of you are praying, and you want me to be in the spirit, apparently, and not just stick to my notes. How? I may have to explain later some manifestations, but I think you're all okay with it as far as I can tell. And plus, you're all saved over five years, apparently. So you should have enough grace to let me be me. Oh. <laughs> That's okay. I'll let you be you. Oh. Oh. Mm. But the Lord said a couple of weeks ago, everyone deserves to be loved. Everyone deserves redemption. My life was on a track that was going to lead to my death, to hopelessness and despair. And my father was not willing to let me go down that track without a revelation of who he is and his plan for my life. And what is more tragic than not finding who you are in him, your true destiny. And by the way, you find out who your true self is, I believe, I would say exclusively when you have an encounter with Jesus because he's the only one qualified to call you by the name that he knows from the foundation of the earth. And it's a marvelous thing. And how do you get set free to be who you're really created to be in him? And it's not a one-off. You know, if you're saved, and apparently you all are, then you've already had a revelation of the gospel of individual salvation. And that's powerful. And you can go for years just basking in, I called you, you didn't call me. And understanding God's father heart of wanting his kids back. And that's a, a powerful thing. And many people live there most of their walk. But at sometimes and often people begin to go, wait, it's not just about me. There is a gospel, not just of an individual. There's the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom is near. It's at hand. Right? I mean, that was his preaching ministry. And so he wanted people to encounter not the values of the culture around them, not the limitations of their time. By the way, if you begin, you're, you're qualified for your breakthrough. When you no longer focus on the size of your problems, and you begin to focus on the size of your God, and his ability to bring his power, his values, his way manifested in you and through you and around you and improve the whole world, get the whole world reconciled back to the kingdom of God. Then all of a sudden you're on a mission. Now you're like the Blues Brothers. Man, I'm on a mission from God. I want to see his kingdom. But you know what? As you keep walking it out, you begin to realize there's something else too. It's not just a message, the gospel of the kingdom. It's the gospel of the king. And you're in that kingdom. 
when you really make him king, when you say, it's all yours, I'm laying it all down. Ho! So I'm going to go over a a few things over the years, encounters that I've had, and, and things that the Lord has awakened my heart to that really allowed that to come. And so, um, I, I guess the best place to start, uh, you know, Lori and I were at our old church for 25 years, and I was doing two full-time jobs, and I was very, very busy. Um, Oswald Chambers says that the chief competitor to devotion to Christ, the main thing that gets in the way of your adoration and devotion to Jesus is service for him. So you fall in love, you have an encounter with God, you realize he's amazing, you begin to talk to Forrest, and then you begin to talk to Julia, and then you meet this crazy family, and next thing you know, you're going to church on Sunday, you've got Bible studies in your home, and you get busy, and you stop spending time with the Lord that got you to that place of devotion in the first place. You've got to have that perpetual ability to stay in his presence, to keep encountering him again and again. And so uh, Lori and I were on a hot date, and we uh, were at Barnes & Noble, because we're not that romantic a couple, and we're looking for books, and uh, I found a book on centering prayer. The Quaker church, like the old traditions of quieting yourself, you know, Quaker Uh, sermons, I guess, were pretty easy to write because you could sit in silence for 30 minutes, you know, and then people would just quiet themselves. And and so I thought, well, that's very intriguing. And as I'm reading this book, uh, I realized, hmm, I do not want my education to exceed my obedience. The days of classroom Christianity, enough already. You don't need more knowledge. You know, you need to begin to live what it is you believe. You be, that transformation of mind. Repentance isn't a change of direction. Repentance is a change of belief that affects your behavior, that you start doing the very thing that you believe. So then I thought, well, I've never tried centering prayer. I've never tried contemplative prayer, quieting myself. And by the way, if you can't tell, I'm a very energetic person. And I'm a very relational person. So me getting away alone and calming down that you want to talk about spiritual disciplines. Well, I was in my office, so I thought, okay, Lord, I'll try it. I laid down on my floor for about 15 minutes, and it was painful. My mind was racing. Oh, that project. Oh, I've been to lunch. What's my appointment again? You know? And after 15 minutes, I finally calmed down. You ever come to that place where you can breathe again? I don't think God can speak to us very well when our minds are hyper. You know, it takes that place of calming down. And so finally, I breathe. I sense that gentle peace in my heart. God's presence comes into my office. And then I hear, you need to get over your caffeine addiction. There I am praying, and he's going after my coffee. If I'm going to sit and be still before God... How am I going to do it amped on caffeine? I mean, God is so practical. We think we're only going to get wisdom that's going to impress everybody. No, he wants to set us free from things that are holding us back. Right? It was his love that told me that. And don't think that if you try it, he's going to go after your caffeine. I don't know what he's going to go after. I just know whatever it's going to be, it'll be good. Amen? 
So for me, that was part of my journey, learning to just listen to the Lord and to wait on the Lord and to begin to hear his voice and to begin to respond in faith to the promptings of the Lord. I mean, Jesus' whole ministry was doing what he saw the Father doing and speaking what he heard the Father saying. And that's that ministry of reconciliation. So anyway, it was quite an adventure. And uh, let me give you a little bit of my background, though, before we get too far. Um, I was raised down in Los Angeles, and I was in a family. I, I like to call them overachieving pagans. And we weren't worshiping Satan, but we were worshiping our own desires. We picked whatever life we wanted. That Nobody was a Christian. We had no framework of faith. Nobody in the family was, you know, we just were... Life was just normal, you know, doing what you wanted to do. Um, and my mom and dad divorced when I was six months old, so I never really knew my father. I have one biological memory of him. And then he died when I was five years old. And I'm not trying to go for sympathy here. It just And, you know, with kids, you don't know what's normal or not. You're just you're living your life, and you're riding your bike, and you're playing with your friends, and all this stuff is going on. And so when I was 12, my mother committed suicide. And at 12, you know, I looked around and I just thought, wow, everybody I love is dropping like flies. You could lose anybody at any time. And so you better be ready. If my brother Phil dies, I have to live. So I, I didn't know I was doing it. You know, often we do these self-protective things. Um, so I put up these walls. I kept people at a distance thinking I could somehow protect myself from greater loss. And by the way, I had a vow when I was a kid, 12 years old. I said, well, I'm not really an orphan because I have a brother and sister. I wasn't in foster care. I didn't live in an orphanage, right? And so don't really have, I'm not really an orphan. What was that? You do know we all try to protect ourselves from pain, from discomfort. So we come up with these vows, these beliefs, these attitudes that try to take stress and pain away from us. And that was one for me. And so um, I went on through high school, didn't have a girlfriend. I was a maniac. I did all the things that you shouldn't be doing when you were that age and didn't have any conviction about it whatsoever. And uh, finally, I met my wife when I was in college. And she left a note on my door with a wad of gum that said, hey, we're, we're friends. Uh, you know, we can decide if we want to take the next step. What do you think? And I went through, I mean, a major emotional turmoil. I, I, I knew what I was being asked of. Are you willing to open your heart again and love somebody? Because I hadn't since I was 12. And I cried for about three hours. I called my older sister. I made a conscious, deliberate choice to trust again, to open my heart and risk someone else dying. So we get together, we have a daughter together, we were married for six years. I got saved in a spirit-filled church in Battleground, Washington. I became a youth pastor, and my transcripts were off at Bethany Bible College, which is an AG seminary, because I knew I was called. And I won't get into that whole story, but it was amazing and from an encounter with God. And so one day, you know, I'm living my life, I walk in the door, and my wife comes up to me, and she says... I've talked to an attorney, and there's no changing my mind. And she left. And I gave her all the furniture. She took my daughter, who I had learned to love in a way I never knew I was capable of loving. My life did a 180 and was in darkness and chaos. 
And I don't know if you've ever been in that place of feeling broken and useless and discarded and unloved. But that was what I had there. And so I was driving to work about a week later. I'm in my car. And I was talking to God. Psalms 142 is a great verse. It says, David poured his heart out, his complaint before the Lord. And so it's like, Lord, I don't understand. Dad dies when I'm five. Mom kills herself when I'm six. And now the only person I've opened my heart to says I'm not worth living with and has left me and taken my daughter away from me. God, I don't understand. Everybody that I have loved has either died or disappointed me. And I'm giving you my first major uh, divine encounter sort of a moment as a young pastor driving my car, confused about the pain in life. And I'll never forget the Lord said four things to me. He said first that that was true. He is a God of truth. He doesn't deny or minimize or, you know, try to even explain. It's just, no, that's true. Everyone you died, everyone you've loved has either died or disappointed you. And then he said, and for the rest of your life, it was going to be that way. And I went, wow, good word, feel encouraged. But if you think you're going to find perfect, permanent love in a human relationship, you're getting set up. Now, some people are more mature than others. Some people love better than others. But nobody loves the way God loves. And so you're going to get disappointed. You're going to get... And if you could find perfect love in a human relationship, they could die. Is that right? Only God can fill that space in our hearts that we so desperately try to fill with so many other things. So then the Lord said that he was always going to be there. You can read the verse, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. You know, the word is not meant to be a theory. The word is supposed to be reality living in your heart. And so he, I didn't know about the immutability of God, the unchanging nature and character of God at the time. But he said he was always going to be there, always the same. Which, by the way, when your life is in chaos, that's a very comforting message. And then he said, this is deep theology. Brace yourselves. Get ready. Okay. Feet on the floor. He said, I love you. What is the message of the 66 books of the Bible? Is it nothing really more than a love letter from God to us when it all comes down to it? And by the way, I was singing Jesus loves me and I meant it. I was preaching God is love and I meant it. But some part of me still thought God loved me because I chose him to get saved and I dress nice on Sundays and I'm cute and I'm trying to be nice to people and now I'm in ministry. I must be lovable. And I'm in the middle of rejection, abandonment and brokenheartedness. And he told me he loved me there. He doesn't love us when we're lovable. He loves us even when we're unlovable in the eyes of others or even in our own eyes. Is that amazing? That's love without performance. But then he said the most powerful thing of all. He said he loved me and then he said, that is enough reason for you to love yourself. If I don't give you anything else today, the simple message that he is perfect, permanent, unconditional love expressed specifically to you as a favored son and daughter 
And that alone is your identity. That alone gives you significance. That alone is a reason to walk with hope and self-respect. And the way I took it, and by the way, these things sometimes have to go in deeper through brokenheartedness. Psalms 34, 18 says, God is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Man, that verse came alive. So by the way, when you're seeing someone else going through heartbreak, don't panic and think, "Uh uh-oh, they feel far away from God. Maybe they do, but God isn't far away from them. The compassionate, loving nature of Jesus is right there for a divine encounter. If you can hold faith for them in that space. That is good, isn't it? Thank you. Just just keep encouraging me that way and it'll get better. (laughs) So the way I took it is after that day. And by the way, this was probably 36 years ago, 35 years ago. And the words of God are so powerful. They're so pregnant. They're so true that they still are growing in me today. I, I, you know, and and you're going to hear a couple of other stories about how it's continued to grow since then. But the way I took it that day was if I showed love to somebody else, if I was kind to Scott, and he was having a bad day, and he reacted and just blew off my, my kindness, my gift, my service, then it's okay. Because I'm not loving him because I need him to love me. When I was an orphan, when I didn't have that revelation, I would be nice to people, but I wanted them to like me. I needed their acceptance and their approval. My love had hooks in it that I didn't know about, and people can tell if you're loving them because you want them to love you back or you're loving them for your sake. And the best measure that you have for where you're at in that you know, matrix right now is if somebody rejects your love, you leave it between them and God because you're loving them for their sake. And so... From that day, the kids in my youth group, other people that I've met, the kind of love I was looking for in human relationship that I could never find, all of a sudden, those relationships, they're in my life still. They're permanent. They're safe. They're trusted. They're growing. People can t- That's the legacy of love. When you love without expectation or requirement from anybody else. Amen? Oh, boy, that's a good word. I'm preaching a little better than you're am- amening, but I'm... I'm all right. I do want to share something that's not in the, in the book. It's, I haven't shared this really before, I don't think. But, uh, you know, the world is struggling to find the truth. The world is desperate in ways that we don't even understand. And they often see things that are kingdom values and kingdom realities, and then they come up with their own terminology. So do you know what reconciliation is really about? When you really know your father as a loving father, and you're the delight of his life, in psychology, part of what they call that is differentiation of self. So in their 20s, usually, most people come to this point where they realize, wait a minute, this is my life. The choices I make are going to affect me. I have what it takes to make it in life, and I don't need everybody to like me or accept me. I don't need everybody's approval. I just have to begin to live my life, and I have what it takes to make good and bad decisions. I can accept myself for my strengths and weaknesses. And once somebody becomes differentiated, they're not looking to find, they're not dependent on you. They're not looking to find their fulfillment through you. Then all of a sudden, you become secure, and you accept yourself for your strengths and weaknesses, 
And by the way, you can learn to start accepting others for who they are and not expect everyone to change to what you think their image should be. And by the way, people who aren't differentiated have very high needs for acceptance and approval, great fears of rejection and abandonment, and I still struggle. And as an orphan, it was doubly hard for me to need everybody to approve me. One person, I mean, we drive for Uber, and I wish I could tell you some Uber stories. They're crazy, it's so fun. You know, it gets me out of my church office. I meet people from all over the world. We've had the most incredible, God told me to pray every morning that people would experience the atmosphere of heaven in the backseat of my car, and he answered it. It's craziness. Ho! And I was going somewhere really good, and I said I wasn't going to do a rabbit trail, but I just did. So, oh, differentiation. So I don't need everyone to accept me and love me, but man, the first time I got a four-star rating, I was in a funk, and I'm differentiated. I mean, I struggled for almost 15, well, if I can't do this right, then I'm just not, I shouldn't be doing it at all. If I can't be a five-star driver, I'm not going to be a four-star driver. I mean, my insecurities all flared up. I was seriously thinking of quitting. What is that? How? Why? Why do we have these high needs for acceptance and approval when we're already accepted by the one who loves us most and knows us best? So let him begin to work it out in you. Sorry, Lori. She struggles with getting low ratings too. So. I'm differentiated. No. But, so, by the way, if you're not differentiated, then you, you, can, you become a chameleon. You conform to the uh, culture around you. You like the things that people around you like so that you're going, they're going to like you. Or the other side of differentiation, if you don't know who you are and you're not secure in it, then people who are different than you, they're a threat. If they're right, then you're wrong. If you're wrong, you're less. You can't be wrong. They're wrong! And you attack. You become a bully. How many of you want to get differentiated and let the Lord be the one who defines your value and your worth? So um, I'm so grateful to God for those four things that he told me. And uh, so after the divorce, I went to a church and I got plugged in and I went through a healing time. And then I met my wife, Lori, who you've already been introduced to. And this girl was singing a solo at the Christmas concert at our church. And by the way, I was already in the AG, you can't be a pastor anymore. So it's like, well, the dream of ministry is gone. And by the way, now I'm a divorced man with a daughter. I'm damaged goods. If I ever find a woman who loves Jesus the way I do, odds are she'll reject me. She won't want anything to do with me. So I thought I was stuck in this place. And, and by the way, I was a 26-year-old man. And in my faith, that meant I was syllabate. Good Lord, I was going to have to be a saint. And there were well-meaning people in our church. Oh, I'm so sorry, brother, pastor, for what you're going through. But now you can never remarry again. And I went, I can't? What is that based on? It's not what the word teaches, by the way. And I'm not going to get into the divorce issue. But people who've been through divorce have often been pretty traumatized, not by the church, but by people in church. You know? God does not hate divorced people. He hates divorce. Because divorce is a death. Divorce is a, re a painful rejection. I mean, it, he hates it because he should. I, I will get into one thing. Sorry, Scott, if you have to clean this up later, but we're going back to Portland. So, 
I was a marriage and family pastor for the last 30 years, so I've walked now thousands of couples through different seasons of life. Uh, yes, I know the verse, God hates divorce, which many times then gets interpreted that means he hates divorced people. No, because Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, look it up later. It says, God gave unfaithful Israel, his bride, her certificate of divorce and sent her on her way. Why? Because of all of her adulteries. It wasn't based on what God was doing, but he's a God of truth. He wants, wanted to live in a covenant with Israel, and Israel didn't want to. We want you, and by the way, we want foreign gods. And we want this other, and we want to be like the other people, right? And so then God's like, oh, you don't want to be married? Okay, here you go. Wake up call. Here's your certificate of divorce. Had God given up on Israel? Was he ticked off? Was it done in hatred and anger? Or was it also a gesture of love? Your behavior is leading to a break of covenant. Is that what you want? God hates divorce, but he has a divorce with Israel, and he hated it. That's how I reconcile those two. So, um, so I met her. She's singing this solo, and I'm not kidding. I saw her, and this girl was singing about her love. For, it was a love song to Jesus, and it was from the soles of her feet up to her body. And I looked at her, and I thought, that is the sexiest thing I've ever seen. I'm serious. A woman who loves God like that, and she was gorgeous, you know. And so I won't get into the whole thing. She is gorgeous. <laughs> We're living in real time here. <laughs> wow. Shoo. So anyway, I mustered up the courage to introduce myself. And I, I walked up to her and I said, uh, hey, I really liked your solo. You reminded me of Sheena Easton. My baby takes the morning train. That was the best reference I could come up with to the woman who was going to become my wife. That had to be a God moment, because she should have run for her life. It's like, Sheena Easton, wow. So we live our life together. We've got three incredible children together. We've got two grandkids. And it has been a wild journey. And I've already told you about the 25 years. Uh, but I got wrecked. Lori and I uh, went to Toronto. How many of you are familiar with the Toronto Blessing? Okay. There was a move of God over 25 years ago now where people weren't trying to make this happen, but the presence of God fell in such a way that people had an encounter with the Father Heart of God. Heidi Baker, Bill Johnson, R.T. Kent, thousands and thousands of people from across the world. And so we got invited to go as well. And all the high-performing, stressed-out, ministerial people, the Oswald Chambers quote, the best way to lose your devotion to Christ is begin to become a workaholic servant of God. And so God was not willing to let that happen and just whacked people on the floor. And I wish I could tell you more. But I will share one encounter I had with him there. Uh, we went to a conference in Toronto called Healing Life's Hurts. And it was tremendous. But Jack Frost was one of the speakers. And his ministry was primarily to the orphan heart in the church. 
to people, whether you're actually an orphan or you just feel like an orphan or you have orphan-like tendencies for high needs for acceptance and approval and fears of rejection. And by the way, 80% of people have some form of uh, need for uh, a fear of rejection and abandonment that affects their lives. And so he did this tremendous message on there are no orphans. And God's heart toward all of us, reconciling the world back to himself as a loving father. And he just, it was rooted on the, on the word, and I just, I believed it. And then, charismatic church, give me a break. What do you think they did? At the end of his message, they had an altar call. And he said, we'd like to pray for uh, people, but we're going to pray for orphans first. So if you lost a mother or father when you were a child, we'd like to pray for you. And I sat there looking around this room. There must have been 1,500 people. And it's like, oh, sure, this many people, there's got to be some orphans. And I just sat there. What do you think she did? Hey, you're an orphan. Oh, oh, well, I'm not really an orphan. You understand? That would keep me from acknowledging the loss. That would keep me from seeking anything different. And so, you know, I'm a little embarrassed. Okay, well, I guess technically I'm a technician. What happens next? Come on down. It's like the price is right, you know. So I go toddling out of my chair, and I'm standing there in front of all these people, and now acknowledging that I'm an orphan. And I stand down there with all these other miserable orphans. And then, and then Jack Frost begins to pray. Identificational repentance. Lord, forgive us for fathers who neglected who abused, who abandoned. His wife, Lord, forgive us for mothers who weren't there for us, who didn't understand love and couldn't show it to. And he just began to pray out for God's cleansing and forgiveness for those who had actually been orphaned. And I'm standing there, still in my rational mind, cooking away. And, uh, and then I hear this little voice rise up inside of me, almost like a child's voice. And what I heard was, I really needed a father! Because I never had one. How can you miss what you never had? You can because God wanted it for you. He wanted to be that father. And I went down like a sack of potatoes. I hit the floor and I sobbed harder than I even have ever cried. I, have you ever cried so hard your eyeballs hurt? And, and it was more undignified than that. I was snotting all over their carpet. There was slug trails. I mean, afterward, it's like, I want to help send money to clean the carpet. I've messed this place up. I'm not. And I just, I, I, I broke. And I, out came this pool of pain that, by the way, I was a 45-year-old pastor. And she knew that pain was there. She knew that it was still affecting me. And, oh, it's under the cross, water under the bridge, long time ago. I mean, what we tell ourselves about the pain that God wants to touch and heal, the way we try to protect ourselves from it, why do we do that instead of acknowledging it to him and to ourselves and let him deal with it and take it? So I had my cry out. And by the way, um, my rational mind was doing its job. I remember sobbing uncontrollably, but my brain is going, is this really God? Would God make you cry like that? You're not really an orphan. You had a brother and sister. I was talking to myself in my brain when all this was going on. And guess what I did and what I encourage you to do in those moments? I went, shut up! Intellect, I know you're trying to protect me, but right now, 
I'm going to let God be God and do what he wants in my life. So shut up. And so I just sat there on the floor and let God do whatever. And it was not a rational process. It wasn't a dignified process. But I will tell you part of my testimony now. Uh, nobody programmed me what was going to happen next. I got up off the floor. And, man, aren't you a noodle when you cry like that? And what's the deal with tears being right on the edge for the next few days? It's like you've released all this tear juice in your bloodstream. <laughs> you have to be careful what commercials you watch, you know? It's crazy. So, you know, I go to bed absolutely exhausted, and I get this glorious night's sleep like the sleep of the redeemed, which, by the way, it kind of was. And I get up the next morning about 5 o'clock. It's still dark outside. Nobody's awake. And I go, ah, it's still dark. I can spend some time with the Lord. And I heard for the first time in my life, Daddy! I knew as a child I could run to the Lord. He wanted to spend time with me. He would want to talk with me. He would want to answer my questions. That pain around my heart kept me from experiencing the doctrine I had already studied for 20 years of Abba Father. Not just Father, but Daddy. Jesus paid the price to bring us all into that place. We had an evangelist at our church three, year, three weeks ago or so, and he said the most profound thing. He said the gospel is not a feather that we tickle people's ears with. The gospel is a sledgehammer that is supposed to break the bricks around our hearts that keep us from receiving the love of our Father. Can I get an amen? Come on. The good news of the love of your father wants to break whatever broken areas there are in your life, whatever bricks, whatever uh, unbelief, whatever uh, vows and false lies, false beliefs there are that would prevent you from that revelation of the father heart of God. And he's going to do it today in a new way for all of us. How am I doing time-wise? When, when do I need to wrap up? You said 3.30? No, seriously, though, 10 minutes, 15 minutes before the big kabang? Okay. I have you right where I want you. So I, I want to give you just a, a few quick secrets uh, in how to get that revelation, how to hear the Father say those kinds of things to you personally and believe that he wants to. And so I'm going to do this kind of quick, and I'm going to end with one other encounter I had with God. Um, and then I have a prophetic act I'm going to offer uh, for all of us at the end of this. Because I hate when my heart is burning and somebody's given me a revelation that it's like, oh, I've heard truth. God, I want that. Make that mine. You guys ever get that? You hear somebody preach and you're just like, oh, I so want it. And then you don't get a chance to respond. It's a ripoff. It's crazy. You know, I want to I give people a chance to really embrace it. You're welcome. Oh, we're going to pray, yeah. For anybody, everybody, I'll pray for, you know, the grass. I'll pray for, okay. All of creation is actually crying out for the sons of God to be revealed. The sons and God. That's what all of creation wants. It's groaning right now because it wants to see you walking in your destiny. It wants that Jesus, you know, when Jesus returns is the final step when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. But it doesn't just happen in that moment. It happens in each of our lives in increasing measure all the time and increasing his kingdom throughout the earth. That's amazing. That's, anyway, okay. She's gone, so now I can talk about her. So let me tell you about her. 
The number of times, oh, Lord, it's that woman you gave me. No, I, I'm not going to go there. I don't need to. No, I married up people. So. Um, so the ways that I learned, I, you know, I told you about contemplative prayer. Um, but also, have you ever heard of the four R's? It's called Lectio Divina in Latin. It, it means um, kind of meditating on the word. So you, uh, I'm going to do this really quick, but Joshua 1.8, God says the most amazing thing to him. Uh, he says, do not let the, uh, the book of the law depart from your mouth, which, by the way, that was the, his word. That was like, at that, that's what they had, the revelation of God. Now we have the rhema word. We have the Holy Spirit breathing on the word, making it alive inside of us in an even more amazing way. I'm so desperate to hear his voice. Life is about his voice and just walking with him, listening to him, learning how to hear him and confirm that it's him and then walk it out in faith and trust. It's amazing. So he says, don't let this you know, word depart from you. Meditate on it. Our culture has been so corrupted by the New Age movement and other forms of meditation that they've neglected the real. The fact that we don't just hear the word once and then it's ours, we have to ponder it like Mary did. We need to digest it. We need to assimilate it. We need to begin to deepen it and believe it until the word actually becomes us and what we believe and what we do. So um, that word is uh, daviding in, in Hebrew, and it actually means to like take the word of God and to, to chew on it to ponder it, to meditate it, and to rock. Have you ever seen the Jews at the Wailing Wall? Man, when you're working the word and you're just like, oh, God, how can you not react when God is bringing revelation? The, the, whoa, one of the, and by the way, that word is rooted in King David. You want to talk about somebody who had a passionate walk with God, a man after his own heart, a man who wrote the Psalms. God's like, you want to see a heart on fire? There it is. David knew how to meditate on the word. And so the four R's of Lectio Divina, you can write them down if you want. You read. But you read the word to encounter God. The word of God is also a doorway to his presence. And yes, we need to analyze and rationally understand. And I love theology, as I've mentioned. But it's not an objective, just study of a transcendent God that you can't know. It's the God who is here and now and present today who wants to reveal himself through the word, through the Holy Spirit, revealing him through his written word. And so you read, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but read a passage several times. And read in faith, God, you're with me. Holy Spirit, you're going to reveal to me. So I read, uh, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And then read it again and read it again. And then all of a sudden, the divine highlighter comes out. Wait a minute. What are the desires of my heart? I don't even really know. And Lord, then after you read, then you reflect. What are you showing me today from your word? Let me really ponder that. Let me reflect on that. Let me listen attentively. Expand on that. Show me something new. God. Can you understand? That's a process. And then after you reflect on the word, you respond Lord, what do you want me to do with what you're showing me today? Do I need to go talk to Lancer and tell him how good he looks in that new shirt he just got? So, I'm not coveting your shirt, brother, but I do like it. Ho! Do you want me to just deal with my own uh, struggle with coveting? 
You know, you ask, but you mean it, Lord, how do I respond to your word today? But then here's the fourth R. I love this. After you've reflected and you've responded, don't just get up and start making lunch. Rest. Learn after you've spent time with the Lord. Do your victory dance, man. Sit there and soak. I just go, God, you spoke to me today. Lord, you even told me what you want me to do in response. I love you. You talk in my life. I'm your sheep. I hear your voice. God, it's incredible. Thank you so much for this time. You know, and just bask in the relationship that you share with him. You want to hear a terrible thing? You do? Yes or no? Okay. So Lori and I went to Bethel, and we were going into the Alabaster House, their prayer room. And you better watch out. There are some places where people have been encountering God's presence and just worshiping him. And his presence inhabits physical space as well. And sometimes people have created a spiritual atmosphere where things are much more open. And so I'm just like, it's our first day there. We're stopping by the prayer room. I walk in the room, and I hear this. The Lord said, why is it most of the time you spend with me is transactional and not relational? He got me. I pray when I need a message. I pray when I'm trying to minister to somebody. I pray when there's an issue. I'm, I'm conducting business. And he was like, no, but you're my son. I'm calling you to be my friend. I want a relationship, and you're just doing business. I don't know if that convicts you, but it convicted me. And then it took me a year. It's like, Lord, how do you want me to respond to that one? You know? Ho! So read, reflect, respond, and rest. And so that's one. Um, soaking is amazing. I, I can only do a little teaching. But soaking is a form of contemplative prayer where you just put on worship music. Well, Charlie, that's not prayer. That's, that's listening to music. It depends how you approach it. If you have worshipful music on in the background and you're agreeing with that worship song, you're letting that spirit of worship begin to enter your heart, that yieldedness that comes, that gentle peace that comes in God's presence. And then you say, Lord, what do you want to talk about today? Lord, I forgot to tell you I'm really brokenhearted about this thing. You begin to pour your heart out before the Lord. You, it's so much easier in a soaking contemplative atmosphere when you're quieting yourself you're in an atmosphere of worship if you haven't ever tried it we did it last night a little bit so I just encourage you it's funny I will give you this testimony I have people come and there was a young lady with two sons single mom stressed out out of her mind and this lady had one of those racing minds have you ever met anybody who can't complete a sentence it was like every time I talked with her I could barely understand what she was talking about even and we loved her but she was stressed out so she came into my office, and I said, okay, before we do anything, if you don't mind, maybe it's just for my sake, can we just wait on the Lord for a moment and listen to a worship song? She's like, okay, okay yeah, let's do that. I was like, okay. So then I put on this worship song, and after one song, she's like, so I really wanted to talk to you about this, and, you know, my son is doing the other. And, and I'm like, who are you? I knew her for six months. It's like I had never met her. She was calm for the first time. And she was able to think in a linear way. And we had the most brilliant conversation we'd ever, just by soaking. It's incredible. And I guarantee you there are times you absolutely need it. It's times where stress is driving your train and not faith. So soaking is, is incredible. The last thing I learned in, during soaking in Toronto is journaling. And this has revolutionized my wife. How many of you have had a desire to hear God's voice more clearly and more often? 
show of hands. I always have. And then some of those maniacs who are like, God told me this and God told me that. I would always be a little bit suspicious and sometimes a little judgmental. Like, well, you better watch out. You don't know what spirit that was. You know, I would question whether they really had that kind of relationship with God. But I always wanted it. And so at the Soaking School in Toronto, my favorite class, I'm hearing God's voice. He, he taught about journaling. So you get yourself quieted down. You get yourself into that place of gentle peace. And then... You ask the Lord a question. And, and then, here's the moment, you write it out. Put it on a piece of paper, actually. It helps. Write it out, and then listen. And whatever comes into your mind, even if all you hear is banana, and you go, well, that's my imagination. We dismiss when the Lord is trying to talk to us so often. And then you say, well, Lord, what do you want to show me about banana. And then all of a sudden, he'll give you revelation about the color yellow, about white on the inside, yellow on the outside. Am I Asian? What's going on? You know, I mean, God will give you revelation if you're attentive. But here's the trick for me. When the Lord begins to speak, don't analyze it. And that's very offensive to the rational mind. But most of my life, when God began to encounter me and I had an encounter with him, I'd go, is this God? Isn't this God? Where's this in the word of God? Give me chapter and verse. I was trying to be a good little Berean. And, you know, but the reality is analyzing is not listening. And the Holy Spirit's a very sensitive person. You turn your ears off, he'll stop talking. For the first time in my life, I had four pages of running dialogue with the Lord what the Lord told me those years ago is still just as profound, as impacting. It's a, the word of God is powerful. It's filled with life. So that's all I'm going to I'd love to do an activation thing, but I can't. So I want to end with this one story now. Um, Lori and I, or it might have just been me. I don't know if you were there that time. I it was in Toronto again. And uh, it was, oh, it was when I was at the soaking school. And so... Um, I met a guy there named Robert Leveda. And Robert is weirder than I am. Robert is the heaviest drinker in the spirit I've ever met. I mean, when he introduced himself, he literally walked up to me and he goes, Hi, I'm Robert. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, the guy was like a total space invader. He was uninhibited. He was affectionate. I looked at him like, what happened to you? Were you born that way? You know, he really cracked me up. And uh, so I was going to bed after I met him one night, and I said, you know, Lord, as a pastor, my dignity, my respectability hasn't really done that much for me. It hasn't. And, Lord, if me being a fool for you will do anything for your kingdom, then I'm willing to sign up. You better watch out what you pray because, you know, sometimes he'll answer <laughs> And, uh, but I, I was serious. I had a conviction about it. And it was partly because of Robert. And the next day, I saw him again. And I said, hey, Robert. I told him what I prayed. And I said, I've never met anyone as foolish as you. Would you pray for me? So he did. And the next day, uh, have you guys ever been in a meeting where you could physically feel the presence of God fall? The kabod, the glory of God. Uh, again, I shared this last night, but in Hebrew, there, there are four words that bring a deeper understanding to God's presence, his manifest presence and glory. And that's heavy, dense, glorious splendor. 
for one thing, all of your senses splendor in God's word. It's everything. That this, what you see and smell and sense is your body's just like, ah! you know, because of God's beauty. But then there is a thickness. There's a denseness sometimes. And I don't know if you've ever been slain in the spirit, but sometimes it's just a lot easier to fall over than to keep standing. You have to fight it, actually. And so uh, we were at that conference, and we were actually, as more and more people were getting touched by God, this big pile of people began to build up in the center of the room. And we're just laying on the floor enjoying God's presence together. And by the way, I love this part. Some pastors were there just to see what was going on. Is this really God? And so they're trying to see what's happening in Toronto. And so I, I, I've seen this more than once. We have this big pool of people enjoying God's glory together. And I've seen pastors like, I wonder what's going on. With and they'll get too close to the glory. Boop! And then they'll get slain in the spirit. You know, and that's how it worked. If you don't want it, don't get that close. You know, sorry you got ambushed, dude. But, you know, that's how it works. So I was sitting down on the floor. And then Robert came crawling up to me being a goofball. And then he looks at me serious. He goes, Charlie, do you mind if I do something for you? I think God's put it on my heart. I went, I don't care, Robert. I'm already on the floor, you know. And so he comes over me and puts his head right here over my sternum. And then he gets a full lungful of breath and goes, <gasps> and blows on my chest. He took another breath, three lungfuls of air. I literally felt the heat and the moisture of his breath building up on my chest. And all these pastors are walking around, and this man is doing this thing on my chest. And I didn't care. So much for the dignified, respectable pastor. And so then, <clears throat> and when he was done, he just looked at me and he said, Charlie, I believe that was a heart kiss from the Father. What do you think about that? And I thought for a moment, I said, Robert, I think I'll take it. He's like, yeah, that's it. That's what you do. Isn't that a ridiculous story? The next day was the last day of the conference. And I was overwhelmed. It's like, God, it's been so good. And I just appreciate what I've learned. And I appreciated the worship and the times of ministry. But I realized that day that, you know, Lord, I haven't heard your still small voice. I haven't had that kind of an encounter with you. And I really came here because I want you. And that was a simple prayer. And all the Lord said, he came and he said, I love you, son. I'd never heard him call me son before. And it went somewhere. It had never gone. It landed in a way it never had. I was absolutely overwhelmed, overflowing with gratitude. It knocked me out of my chair physically. And I just began to sob with joy. And by the way, the soaking team knew this was a Holy Spirit moment. And they didn't try to deliver me or do anything. They just went and blessed. Oh, God, just love him. Bless him. Let him receive it. You know, the bricks were getting broken around my heart. And I was receiving more as a son. And so then I, I crawl up into my chair, and I was a, a noodle again, and I put my head back on the chair, and my body was sort of straight out, and I just was crying. And, and I was saying, Lord, I, I can't sing right now. I can't worship. But, Lord, every one of my tears is my worship to you. It's just my gift. And by the way, because my head was back, my ears were actually going into my ears, and my ears filled up with tears. I don't know if you've ever cried that way. <laughs> Never filled up my ears with tears, and uh, it was a very beautiful moment for me, and 
my hero, Bill Johnson, says an amazing thing. You know, he says that the Holy Spirit resides in all true believers. Is that right? You come to an understanding of the gospel. You invite Jesus into your heart, and he comes. He sends his spirit to abide right inside of you, to reveal the mysteries of heaven to your heart in a profound way. He resides in you. But the Holy Spirit only seems to rest on a few people to manifest his presence, to see the kingdom of God bring healing and deliverance and salvation and wholeness and breakthrough. Is that, and that's been my observation too. And so what's the difference between believers who have the Holy Spirit residing in them and they're going to heaven and believers who the Spirit can actually rest on and manifest himself through their life? And according to Bill, what he says is the difference is first, people believe there's always more. You're not an expert. I'm not an expert. You're never going to exhaust the glory of God, the favor of God, the goodness of God in your life. There's always more revelation of him that he can give you. Amen? There's always more of God. We're always going to be growing as sons and daughters. And so you begin to believe that. You believe in the goodness of God, and you know there's more of him. And then you make a deal between heaven and earth, and you say, Lord, I believe there's more, and I'll take it. I would say yes. I want it. Because he's not going to force himself upon you. He's not a dictator God. He's a, a lover God. And he responds to hearts who say yes. So when I told Robert, I think I'll take it, I actually, in the natural, opened the door for him to do that in the spirit. Does that make sense to you? And because of that, I heard uh, Mahesh Shavda say an amazing thing. He said, if you can live it, you can give it. So you can teach all the theology you want, all the biblical doctrines, and you can teach them straight. But if they're not yours, if you're not living them, then you don't have the same anointing and authority to impart them to give somebody else a breakthrough because of the breakthrough that you're walking in. And so because of that encounter that I had with God, I believe today we have an opportunity to just stand together as brothers and sisters and to acknowledge, Lord, for me today, you have more. And I'm going to take it. And so what I want to do is I'm going to pray that. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. And then uh, I've been praying about it, Scott, and if you want differently, or Lori. Uh, I think because of the time and the number of people we have, what I'll do, I've got some anointing oil in my pocket. And whoever wants to, I'm going to have you just come on down. You can go along the sides and back that way. And then I'm just going to come, and Lori and I will just pray an impartation of the Father Heart of God, of the release of sons and daughters, uh, if that's what you want. So are you good with that? Okay. So that's the way we're going to do that. And so if you believe today that you want a greater revelation of who you're created to be in Jesus as a true son and daughter, you want to overcome whatever insecurities or comparisons you've had toward others, if you believe there's more that he has for you and you're willing to take it, would you just stand up with me? And I'm going to just pray a closing prayer, and then we'll have you get in line, and we're just going to walk on by quickly and speak a word over whoever wants it. Oh, thank you, Father. Oh, Father, we delight ourselves in you. What an amazing, extravagant, unexpected Father you truly are. And you so hungered to reveal to us your delight in us that you sent your son 
to pay an unimaginable ultimate price to bring us back, to reconcile us back into that intimate, loving relationship with you. And so, Lord, even now, in Jesus' name, I repent on behalf of fathers and mothers who weren't there for us, who weren't loved in a way where they could show us the love you wanted them to be able to show us. And so, Lord, I just ask for you to uh, cleanse our hearts from abandonment, from rejection, abuse, even from the death, a premature death of our parents. Lord, we choose to forgive them. We choose to release them from any right that we thought we had. And Lord, if, they're, if they've passed, we just bless their memory. If they're with us, God, we ask for you to even reconcile us as you're reconciling us with you. And uh, most of all, Father, I know for myself, I have not fully experienced all that you have for me in this life. I want to walk in greater freedom, greater authority, greater influence, greater love. Lord, I just speak over this house that Legacy City Church is going to leave a legacy of love in this city that will grow eternally. But Lord, it comes by your sons and daughters allowing you to break the bricks around their hearts to heal whatever calluses have been there, whatever bruises have occurred from past relationships, God. We give them to you. And Holy Spirit, come right now with that healing balm, that salve. Heal up our wounded hearts, God, that we can receive a revelation of who we are in you and say, yes, I will take it. Even now, by these people standing as an act of faith, of submitting to you as Savior, submitting to you in a greater uh, experience than they've ever had of hearing your voice, of responding in adoration and obedience, God. Whoa, this house is going to be on fire. People are going to come and just experience your presence in a way that's going to baffle their minds and open their hearts and set them free in Jesus' name. This is a healing house. This is a deliverance house. This is a breakthrough house for this city, a provision that you have given Bremerton, Lord God, to release prosperity of spirit and soul in this neighborhood. Lives coming alive for you. I thank you for this. Ho, oh, and Lord, we just pray all of this in uh, recognition of your finished work and the communion that we share today, the communion we share with you, God. Help us be a people on fire with burning hearts to ignite the love of others toward you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Did you want to help direct this a little bit? If you guys want, whoever, just come on forward. Lori and I are going to pray for you. And we'll need a couple of people just in case. So let me get a couple guys who will be with me to stand behind potential needs for catching. And uh, I really want to invite those that are the hungriest to come up first if you've received impartation, come on up. Just come on up. Just make a line up in the front if it gets full, then we'll, make a, 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 we'll continue the line around. If you need to go, you're free to go, but we don't want to rush this opportunity. So um, I think uh, Forrest is going to help me. Well, we get a prayer too, so don't worry.